But I've had the wonderful privilege of, of journeying with you, and we've had many, many conversations about your cancer and how you're processing that. And honestly, it's been, uh, I've just been, appreciate so much your words and how you're processing that. And I think the congregation might want to hear a little bit about that, okay? Is that good? Yeah. I think my heart rate tripled walking from the back to the front. <laughs> I'll be right here at hand, okay? okay. Um, for those of you who may not know me, I'm Beth's and in 2016, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I wasn't surprised that there was something wrong because I hadn't been feeling well, but I really wasn't expecting that. I thought maybe it would be my gallbladder or something simple that you just take care of and move on. The first couple of weeks were quite a whirlwind between being diagnosed, having biopsies, having surgery. And I cannot thank Roosevelt Covenant enough for the prayers that came from you. I felt so surrounded and blessed by prayer, and I cannot begin to tell you the difference that made between all of you and my family and friends. It was huge. In that beginning part, I never, I never really questioned why me. That was never part of what came to me, because I've always felt as a Christian that doesn't mean I won't have adversity. It just means I'll have someone to walk through that adversity with me. But when I was home, there was a lot more time to think, which is never a good thing. <laughs> and it wasn't that I was afraid to die, because I truly believe as a Christian, God has prepared a wonderful place for us that is much better than where we are now even. Um, but in my humanness, I really didn't want to die. And, um, you know, pancreatic cancer is not a great diagnosis. So I spent some time thinking about that and struggling with that a little bit. You know, my daughter is 24, and I would love to see her marry and have babies and hold those babies and see the rest of my family and friends. And it, you know, I know people don't all die at age 96 like my mother did. I mean, I'm a nurse. I see people in the hospital die. I see my own brother died in an accident at 47. I know you don't always live to be an old age to die. But I just really wasn't ready yet. I didn't feel. And so I really took that to God in prayer because that, that was my biggest struggle. It wasn't dealing with the physical things. It wasn't dealing with anything else. Um, you know, as a whole, I actually had a fairly decent course um, and went through chemotherapy and radiation, but it was the not knowing. In medical um, guides, you have to be five years post-treatment to be considered cancer-free um, for this. And... Right now, I'm a year and a half cancer-free. But at the time, I, um, I, I really struggled with that, and I decided that what I had to do was really pray differently. You know, instead of, of not knowing and struggling with that not knowing, what I prayed was that God would give me a peace, that no matter what happened, it would be okay, because I knew I had my God and Savior there with me, no matter what, whether... <laughs> It was going to be that the cancer came back or whether it was that it doesn't. He's there and he walks with me, not just through this, but through everything. And once I looked at it more from that perspective, that really made a huge difference. And I have to tell you, you guys, praying like that, God gave me a peace that I just cannot begin to explain to you. It, it's like a calm that no matter what happens, I know it will be okay. And I truly believe that. And, and I guess that's my story to date, and we'll see how it happens and how it ends later. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. Thanks so much. When I first found out 
I prayed that God would heal you <laughs> in that experience that she faced. This is, a, this is a difficult one as we think about uh, fake news. The fake news, if you have enough faith, you will be healed. And I want to say for those that have earnestly prayed for something in their lives, it doesn't necessarily have to be healing. It can be another experience in life. And it just hasn't turned out the way that you desire to turn out. My hope and prayer is that, that as Beth has said, uh, you know, she senses the, the community coming alongside. And the community is so important when we cry out to God and so earnestly, and it just doesn't seem to go the way we want it to go. And uh, God uses people in such powerful ways and community in such powerful ways. I wish I could settle this issue. If you have enough faith, you will be healed. Because the Bible does speak really strongly, affirmatively, that, you know, there's something powerful about what God can do. And some of these passages you read make it sound like you, you pray, and by faith it will happen. And I think that's where it's very, very important for us as people of faith to see the whole counsel of what the Scripture has to say. It's very important we don't isolate a certain passage and we look at what God is saying in totality. A man had a terribly lengthy surgery. It was expensive and the results weren't very promising. He went to his doctor for the post-op visit and the doctor said, well, I have sad news for you. You're not going to live more than six months. And the man said, good night, doc. It's going to take me, you know, a year to pay you back what I owe you. And the doc said, well, then I'll give you a year. <laughs> For a few moments, I want to look at the scripture and just look, the scripture is where I'm going to get my reference point of mountain and valleys because the imagery we have in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 17 is something that takes place before that passage of scripture up on the mountain, powerfully placed, happened up on the mountain. And as they came down, what they experienced. And so mountains and valleys... If you have enough faith, you'll be healed. You know, we often place the emphasis this. If you, you or me, has enough faith, we'll be healed. And I want to suggest to you this morning, that's a misplaced emphasis. And this is a broader issue than just miraculous power to heal physically. But if we have enough faith, we'll be healed. We know very well there's an approach that in Christendom which simply says you name it and you claim it. All you got to do is ask God, and it's going to happen. And there's many people that believe that, even though what do they do when it doesn't happen? But nonetheless, there's that. But there's the opposite of those that don't even imagine that God can do miracles in their lives. They can't even fathom that God might do something powerful in my life, might hear our, my prayer of my heart, and might do something rather miraculously. But I want to remind you of something, that the Holy Spirit is working the Shekinah glory of God, the power of God from the mountaintops comes to us in the Holy Spirit. And it's miraculous what he's doing every day. He's working in our lives because of his abiding presence. He is with and in us doing miraculous works, moving us most powerfully towards the will of God, moving us together towards his holiness, conforming us to the very character of God. He is journeying every day with you and me. Must we not forget that as we unpack this? However, there, when we look at the subject of God's healings, we recognize we live in a fallen world with disease, pain, and death. And God works and sets things up in a certain way. And he's given us massive freedom. And he, he painfully respects it. At the same time, he acts appropriately when he sees fit. 
But the pain and the disease and death will ultimately be done away with. And the beauty of the revelation is that he will be, will be done away in the new heaven new earth. There's two central principles I want you to keep in mind as we think about this subject. And it's important you keep these in mind. The first one is when God acts miraculously, it's not based on the quantity of, the quantity of our faith, but rather a genuine belief in the power of God. Sometimes we think it's the, it's the quantity of faith that we have to have. The quantity of things maybe we need to do in some way so that God will act. And I would suggest to you it has nothing to do with that, but a genuine belief in the power of the living God. Let me give you an example. It's not about healing, but an example in the Old Testament that might illustrate. Since we're talking about mountaintops here today, in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a mountaintop experience up there with Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And it's an amazing story of what took place there. Because God wanted Israel to settle the issue. Are you going to follow the living God, El, or are you going to follow Baal, this, this pagan god of the Canaanites, who in their mythology has overcome El and is now the supreme god? And he wants them to say, what, are you going to settle this issue in your heart right now? And so you know what took place. They put the altars up and they gave the prophets of 400 prophets of Baal the first chance to pray to their God in a way to leverage him so that he will bring down fire from heaven and consume the altar. And their faith rested in this. They jumped on the altar. They cried out to God for hours on end. They cut themselves with lances and knives so that the blood flowed from their veins and pleading with God that he would answer their prayer and answer and come and devour the altar. Hours went on, and you know the story. There was silence. He was rather mockingly Elijah, but there was silence. And we know what happened. Elijah, when his altar was built, he just simply said this, Lord, the God of my fathers, I am just your servant. I've just done what you command, your will. Answer me so they can see your power and turn their hearts back to you. There wasn't any kind of leveraging going on. There wasn't any kind of, I have to do things. I have to muster up this, this faith or this certain kind of posture for, so that God acts. It's not about us. It's simply saying, God, show me your power. Show me your mighty power today. And he did in a powerful way. That's the first principle I want you to keep in mind. It's not the quantity of our faith or what we do, but it's, it's really this deep belief in God's power. Secondly, when God acts miraculously, he does it based upon what will further his will in our lives. And I am so glad that God, he, he kind of oversees and guides these events in our lives. There's many passages that talk about God's miraculous power in the scriptures, but you've got to have, realize they have a qualifying statement. In many of them, not all, that's why we can't get off track. It says, according to God's will. And that is a critical element that we have to keep in mind. God is cooperating with us on a personal, unique journey for you to become more like Jesus. I don't know your journey. I don't even know my own. That's why we recognize that God's will is so critical in this whole discussion. And God takes us sometimes in Hebrews through valleys and difficult times, tough experiences in life. And part of that he does so that we will be ultimately what he desires, is that we share in his wonderful holiness and his character. I don't know your journey. So when I pray for healing in your life, I don't know what God has in mind. And I must recognize that so powerfully. I'm, I'm going to give you an example, not of, of healing, but remember Jesus in the garden. 
He's pleading with God, please take away this experience I'm gonna face on the cross. But it's not my will, it's your will be done. When Peter cut off the ear, I can bring legions of angels to rescue me, Peter. uh, Peter. But it's God's will. The Apostle Paul, three times, pleaded with God, asked him if just the thorn in the flesh, which we don't know what it is. He was persistent, but persistence is different than the quantity we need for faith. My grace is sufficient to you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, no, but I'm going to work in a powerful way. See, the convergence of the will of God. We need to constantly be engaging in knowing the will of God to make our petitions to him. It's about his will, which is always better for us. Why did Jesus do so many miracles, by the way? Do I ask the question, why did he do all these miracles all the time? It looks like overkill. And it is overkill. It was the miraculous power of Christ that was an overkill for a purpose. For in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, it says that when the Messiah comes, there's unique things that are going to happen. And when they happen, it's going to signal to us that he has inaugurated his great and powerful kingdom. He will open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, the lame will walk, those who cannot speak will speak to reverse the painful effects of the fall. He's working in that direction. He was overkilled to them and they didn't get it. Look what I'm about, look who I am. But he also had such compassion as he looked at them as sheep without shepherd, with such vulnerability and he desired to heal. And so often the person who desired to be healed, he just simply said, do you believe I can do this? It's not what we're going to do to show our faith, but rather, do we just simply believe that he can do this? It's a quality of faith, focused on what God can do. Matthew 17 is another mountaintop experience, and just quickly let me tell you what's going on. This is the Mount of Transfiguration, which really mirrors what took place in the Old Testament when Moses went up on the mountain. It said after six days, Moses went up on the mountain. He was in the presence of God for 40 days. And there was much there to be in the presence of God. Can you imagine him realizing the incredible power of God? He comes down from the mountain and he's shining with the very Shekinah glory and presence of God. What a mountaintop experience, but he had to come down to the valley. As he came down to the valley, there was absolute, utter confusion. Because when he was gone for that period of time, the people forgot the power of God. They forgot the God that brought them out of Egypt and brought them all the way to Mount Sinai. And in that pressure and confusion, the leadership was unable to handle the situation, and they built this detestable golden calf, maybe modeled after the gods of Egypt. And they couldn't handle what was going on because they lacked and forgot the power of God. God is furious and says, this unbelief, perverse generation, that valley experience was not good. It was very interesting as as Moses pleaded with God to be merciful. God was, but he wasn't merciful, Moses at all, in dealing with that situation. But that mirrors the mountain experience of the transfiguration, for it says in six days, Jesus took his three disciples and went up on the mountain. When he was up on the mountain, he literally showed the glory of God. He doesn't reflect the glory of God, he shows the glory of God. Can you imagine that magnificent experience of the disciples seeing the very power of the living God on the mountain? The powerful words of God, this is my son, listen to him, listen to him. 
After that mountaintop experience, they had to come down in the valleys. When they come down in the valleys, what do they see? Confusion. Disciples that were left, the ones that had gone out two by two to do miraculous things earlier, forgot the power of God. And what do they do? In their confusion, they took their eyes off God. And what happened is there was confusion with the religious leaders seen in other gospels, and they couldn't do it. Jesus comes down and, like the Father, says, this perverse generation, have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten me? And we see that he does talk about the moving of mountains, which is an analogy, which is really the confidence that we ought to have in God's work in our lives. The power of God at work can accomplish incredible things in our lives. God desires above all else to do miraculous things. And I just want you to think for a moment from these experiences, which I left out so much detail. But the question is, do we believe in the miraculous power of God anymore? Do you believe the power of God is at work in your life? Might we be called this evil and perverse generation of people who no longer believe that God can do transformative things, healing the powerful transformation of our lives, the energizing the church to do the work of God. What it means is really having confidence in the living God. When we enter into that relationship and, and, that, and work and with him and do the kinds of things that he desires to do and even the miraculous things that he does. I was listening as I was finishing my sermon last night to Michael Card, the song Emmanuel, God is with us. Who can stand against us? And he goes on this most beautiful song recognizing God is with us. God wants to do some powerful things through us. And it's not the quantity of our faith, but it's a belief, simple belief that God can do it. At the same time, it's very important. Are you desiring God's will to be lived out in your life? If you're not, lack, if you're not actively living into the will of God, our prayers very quickly become self-serving. Then it becomes a name-it-and-claim-it mindset. Because we are not in tune with him. There's a convergence that needs to be there. Both are necessary. The boldness of God can do powerful things, but also the qualifier of being engaged in knowing the will of God so our prayers can be targeted, so our prayers, in a sense, can be effective. And this journey of faith, this journey of faith, are we living into the will of God? Belief in God's miraculous power and a sensitivity to the will of God as we try to unpack this area of our lives. And the book of James gives us some help. Let's just, for a moment here, the book of James has something to say to us in this area, and it has to do with uh, community. Um, James, you remember, it says, call the elders. You want to put that up there if you can? Is Kevin up there? There we go. Tell me among you in trouble. Let them pray. If anyone happy... Let them sing a song of praise. And by the way, we ought to be, when we have joyful experiences in our lives, which we need to have, and God is doing things, we ought to be people that give thanks to him. If anyone among you is sick, and that sickness is not just physical, it's all kinds of issues in our lives. Call the elders of the church to pray over them. And anoint them with the oil, of the, symbolic of the spirit, of the healing quality. And the prayers offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. There is a correlation between sin and sickness. Passage simply says for us to call the community of people, the elders, people who hopefully understand the power of God, those who understand living into the will of God, and pray. It doesn't guarantee 
But God has power to heal. And faith in God's will for our lives, we need to have that. And as a community, this is what we do. As a community of people, when we have a need, we need to be there. Even if we are struggling to see at all the power of God in our lives, we need community. We need elders to pray today after the service. If you need to say, God, I need some healing in my life. I want the power of God. I desire the will of God in my life. Whatever the issue is, anytime you call us and we come and we pray, we pray the power of God and we pray God's will be done in your life and in my life. I didn't settle the issue. But I want us to recognize the power of God and recognize this deep sense of merging together his power with a deep sense and desire to do the will of God. Amen.